Section 9 of Thrilling Adventures by Land and Sea by James O. Brayman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 9. Adventure with Pirates. There lived, not many years ago, on the eastern shore of Mount Deserta, a large island off the coast of Maine, an old fisherman by the name of Jedediah Spinnet, who owned a schooner of some hundred tons burden, in which he, together with some four stout sons, was wont to go about once a year to the Grand Banks for the purpose of catching codfish. The old man had five things upon the peculiar merits of which he loved to boast, his schooner, Betsy Jenkins, and his four sons. The four sons were all their father represented them to be, and no one ever doubted his word when he said that their like was not to be found for fifty miles around. The oldest was thirty-two, while the youngest had just completed his twenty-sixth year, and they answered to the names of Seth, Andrew, John, and Samuel. One morning a stranger called upon Jedediah to engage him to take to Havana some iron machinery belonging to steam engines for sugar plantations. The terms were soon agreed upon, and the old man and his sons immediately set about putting the machinery on board that accomplished they set sail for havana with a fair wind and for several days proceeded on their course without any adventure of any kind one morning however a vessel was descried off their starboard quarter which after some hesitation the old man pronounced a pirate there was not much time allowed them for doubting for the vessel soon saluted them with a very agreeable whizzing of an eighteen-pound shot under the stern that means for us to heave to remarked the old man then i guess we'd better do it hadn't we said seth of course accordingly the betsy jenkins was brought up into the wind and her main boom hauled over to windward now boys said the old man as soon as the schooner came to a stand all we can do is to be as cool as possible and to trust to fortune there is no way to escape that i can see now but perhaps if we are civil they will take such stuff as they want then let us go at any rate there is no use crying about it for it can't be helped now get your pistols and see that they are surely loaded and have your knives ready but be sure and hide them so that the pirates shall see no show of resistance in a few moments all the arms which the schooner afforded with the exception of one or two old muskets were secured about the persons of our down easters and they quietly awaited the coming of the schooner one word more boys said the old man just as the pirate came round under the stern now watch every movement i make and be ready to jump the moment i speak as captain spinnet ceased speaking the pirate luffed under the fisherman's lee quarter and in a moment more the latter's deck was graced with the presence of a dozen as savage-looking mortals as eyes ever rested upon are you the captain of this vessel demanded the leader of the boarders as he approached the old man yes sir what is your cargo machinery for engines nothing else asked the pirate with a searching look at this moment captain spinnet's eye caught what looked like a sail off to the southward and eastward but no sign betrayed the discovery and while a brilliant idea shot through his mind he hesitatingly replied well there is a leetle something else ah and what is it why sir perhaps i had not to tell said captain spinnet 
counterfeiting the most extreme perturbation you see twas given to me as a sort of trust and twouldn't be right for me to give it up you can take anything else you please for i suppose i can't help myself you are an honest codger at any rate said the pirate but if you would live ten minutes longer just tell me what you've got on board and exactly where it lays the sight of the cocked pistol brought the old man to his senses and in a deprecating tone he muttered don't kill me sir don't i'll tell you all we have got forty thousand silver dollars nailed up in boxes and stowed away under some of the boxes just forward of the cabin bulkhead but mr defoe didn't suspect that anybody would have thought of looking for it there perhaps so chuckled the pirate while his eyes sparkled with delight and then turning to his own vessel he ordered all but three of his men to jump on board the yankee in a few moments the pirates had taken off the hatches and in their haste to get at the silver dollars they forgot all else but not so with spinet he had his wits at work and no sooner had the last of the villains disappeared below the hatchway than he turned to his boys now boys for our lives seth you clap your knife across the forethroat and peak halyards and you john cut the main be quick now and the moment you've done it jump aboard the pirate andrew and sam you cast off the pirates grapplings and then you jump then we'll walk into them three chaps aboard the clipper now for it no sooner were the last words out of the old man's mouth than his sons did exactly as they had been directed the fore and main halyards were cut and the two grapplings cast off at the same instant and as the heavy gaffs came rattling down our five heroes leaped on board the pirate the moment the clipper felt at liberty her head swung off and before the astonished buccaneers could gain the decks of the fishermen their own vessel was a cable's length to leeward sweeping gracefully away before the wind while the three men left in charge were easily secured hello there shouted captain spinet as the luckless pirates crowded around the lee gangway of their prize when you find them silver dollars just let us know will ya half a dozen pistol-shots was all the answer the old man got but they did him no harm and crowding up all sail he made for the vessel he had discovered which lay dead to leeward of him and which he made out to be a large ship the clipper cut through the water like a dolphin and in a remarkably short space of time spinet left up under the ship's stern and explained all that had happened the ship proved to be an east indiaman bound for charleston having all told thirty men on board twenty of whom at once jumped into the clipper and offered their services in helping to take the pirate before dark captain spinet was once more within hailing distance of his own vessel and raising a trumpet to his mouth he shouted schooner ahoy will you quietly surrender yourselves prisoners if we come on board come and try it returned the pirate captain as he brandished his cutlass above his head in a threatening manner which seemed to indicate that he would fight to the last but that was his last moment for seth was crouched below the bulwarks taking deliberate aim along the barrel of a heavy rifle and as the bloody villain was in the act of turning to his men the sharp crack of seth spinet's weapon rang its fatal death peal and the next moment the captain fell back into the arms of his men with a brace of bullets in his heart now shouted the old man as he leveled the long pivot gun and seized a lighted match i'll give you just five minutes to make your minds up in and if you don't surrender i'll blow every one of you into the other world 
the death of their captain and withal the sight of the pivot gun its peculiar properties they knew full well brought the pirates to their senses and they threw down their weapons and agreed to give themselves up in two days from that time captain spinnet delivered his cargo safely in havana gave the pirates into the hands of the civil authorities and delivered the clipper up to the government in return for which he received a sum of money sufficient for an independence during the remainder of his life as well as a very handsome medal from the government kenton the spy a secret expedition had been planned by colonel bowman of kentucky against an indian town on the little miami simon kenton and two young men named clark and montgomery were employed to proceed in advance and reconnoitre kenton was a native of farquhar county virginia where he was born the fifteenth of may seventeen fifty five his companions were roving backwoodsmen denizens of the wood and hunters like himself these adventurers set out in obedience to their orders and reached the neighborhood of the indian village without being discovered they examined it attentively and walked around the cabins during the night with perfect impunity had they returned after reconnoitering the place they would have accomplished the object of their mission and avoided a heavy calamity they fell martyrs however to their passion for horseflesh unfortunately during their nightly promenade they stumbled upon a pound in which were a number of indian horses the temptation was not to be resisted they severally seized a horse and mounted but there still remained a number of fine animals and the adventurers cast longing lingering looks behind it was melancholy the idea of forsaking such a goodly prize flesh and blood could not resist the temptation getting scalped was nothing to the loss of such beautiful specimens of horse-flesh they turned back and took several more the horses however being indisposed to change masters and so much noise was made in the attempt to secure them that at last the thieves were discovered the cry rang through the village at once that the long knives were stealing their horses right before the doors of their wigwams a great hubbub ensued and indians old and young squaws children and warriors all sallied out with loud screams to save their property from the greedy spoilers kenton and his friends saw that they had overshot their mark and that they must ride for their lives even in this extremity however they could not reconcile their minds to the surrender of a single horse which they had haltered and while two of them rode in front and led a great number of horses the other brought up the rear and plying his whip from right to left did not permit a single animal to lag behind in this manner they dashed through the woods at a furious rate with the hue and cry after them until their course was suddenly stopped by an impenetrable swamp here from necessity they paused a few minutes and listened attentively hearing no sounds of pursuit they resumed their course and skirting the swamp for some distance in the vain hope of crossing it they bent their course in a straight direction to the ohio they rode during the whole night without resting a moment halting a brief space at daylight they continued their journey throughout the day and the whole of the following night and by this uncommon celerity of movement they succeeded in reaching the northern bank of the ohio on the morning of the second day 
crossing the river would now ensure their safety but this was likely to prove a difficult undertaking and the close pursuit which they had reason to expect rendered it expedient to lose as little time as possible the wind was high and the river rough and boisterous it was determined that kenton should cross with the horses while clark and montgomery should construct a raft in order to transport their guns baggage and ammunition to the opposite shore the necessary preparations were soon made and kenton after forcing his horse into the river plunged in himself and swam by their side in a few minutes the high waves completely overwhelmed him and forced him considerably below the horses who stemmed the current much more successfully than he the horses being left to themselves turned about and made for the ohio shore where kenton was compelled to follow them again he forced them into the water and again they returned to the same spot until kenton became so exhausted by repeated efforts as to be unable to swim what was to be done that the indians would pursue them was certain that the horses would not and could not be made to cross the river in its present state was equally certain should they abandon their horses and cross on the raft or remain with their horses and brave the consequence the latter alternative was adopted unanimously death or captivity might be tolerated but the loss of such a beautiful lot of horses after working so hard for them was not to be thought of for a moment should they move up or down the river or remain where they were the latter plan was adopted and a more indiscreet one could hardly have been imagined they supposed that the wind would fall at sunset and the river become sufficiently calm to admit of their passage and as it was thought probable that the indians might be upon them before night it was determined to conceal their horses in a neighbouring ravine while they should take their stations in the adjoining wood the day passed away in tranquillity but at night the wind blew harder than ever and the water became so rough that they would hardly have been able to cross on their raft as if totally infatuated they remained where they were until morning thus wasting twenty-four hours of most precious time in idleness in the morning the wind abated and the river became calm but it was now too late their horses had become obstinate and intractable and positively and repeatedly refused to take to the water their masters at length determined to do what ought to have been done at first they severally resolved to mount a horse and make the best of their way down the river to louisville but their unconquerable reluctance to lose their horses overcame even this resolution instead of leaving the ground instantly they went back upon their own trail in the vain effort to regain possession of the rest of their horses which had broken from them in their last effort to drive them into the water they literally fell victims to their love for horse-flesh they had scarcely ridden one hundred yards when kenton who had dismounted heard a loud halloo he quickly beheld three indians and one white man all well mounted wishing to give the alarm to his companions he raised his rifle took a steady aim at the breast of the foremost indian and drew the trigger his gun had become wet on the raft and flashed the enemy were instantly alarmed and dashed at him kenton took to his heels and was pursued by four horsemen at full speed 
he instantly directed his steps to the thickest part of the wood and had succeeded as he thought in baffling his pursuers when just as he was entering the wood an indian on horseback galloped up to him with such rapidity as to render flight useless the horseman rode up holding out his hand and calling out brother brother in a tone of great affection kenton observes that if his gun would have made fire he would have brothered him to his heart's content but being totally unarmed he called out that he would surrender if they would give him quarter and good treatment promises were cheap with the indian who advancing with extended hands and a withering grin upon his countenance which was intended for a smile of courtesy seized kenton's hand and grasped it with violence kenton not liking the manner of his captor raised his gun to knock him down when an indian who had followed him closely through the brushwood sprung upon his back and pinioned his arms to his side the one who had been grinning so amiably then raised him by the hair and shook him until his teeth rattled while the rest of the party coming up fell upon kenton with their tongues and ramrods until he thought they would scold or beat him to death they were the owners of the horses which he had carried off and now took ample revenge for the loss of their property at every stroke of their ramrods over his head they would exclaim in a tone of strong indignation steal indian hoss eh their attention however was soon directed to montgomery who having heard the noise attending kenton's capture very gallantly hastened up to his assistance while clark prudently took to his heels montgomery halted within gunshot and appeared busy with the pan of his gun as if preparing to fire two indians instantly sprang off in pursuit of him while the rest attended to kenton in a few minutes kenton heard the crack of two rifles in quick succession followed by a halloo which announced the fate of his friend the indians returned waving the bloody scalp of montgomery and with countenance and gestures which menaced him with a similar fate then they proceeded to secure their prisoner by pinioning him with stout sticks and fastening him with ropes to a tree during the operation they cuffed him from time to time with great heartiness and abused him for a thief a horse thief a rascal kenton remained in this painful position throughout the night looking forward to certain death and most probably torture as soon as he should reach their town their rage against him displayed itself the next morning in rather a singular manner among the horses which kenton had taken was a wild young colt wholly unbroken and with all his honours of mane and tail undocked upon him kenton was mounted without saddle or bridle with his hands tied behind him and his feet fastened under the horse's belly the country was rough and bushy and kenton had no means of protecting his face from the brambles through which it was expected that the colt would dash as soon as the rider was firmly fastened to his back the colt was turned loose with a sudden lash but after curveting and capricoling for a while to the great distress of kenton but to the infinite amusement of the indians he appeared to take compassion on his rider and falling into a line with the other horses avoided the brambles entirely and went on very well in this manner he rode through the day at night he was taken from the horse and confined as before on the third day they came within a few miles of chillicothe 
here the party halted and sent forward a messenger to prepare for their reception in a short time blackfish one of their chiefs arrived and regarding kenton with a stern countenance thundered out in very good english you have been stealing horses yes sir did captain boone tell you to steal our horses no sir i did it of my own accord blackfish made no reply to this frank confession but brandishing a hickory switch he applied it so briskly to kenton's naked back and shoulders as to bring the blood freely and occasion acute pain thus alternately scolded and beaten kenton was conducted to the village all the inhabitants men women and children ran out to feast their eyes with the sight of the prisoner and all down to the smallest child appeared in a paroxysm of rage they whooped they yelled they hooted they clapped their hands and poured upon him a flood of abuse to which all that he had yet experienced was courteous and civil with loud cries they demanded that their prisoner should be tied to the stake the hint was instantly complied with but after being well thrashed and tormented he was released for the purpose of furnishing further amusement to his captors early in the morning he beheld the scalp of montgomery stretched upon a hoop and drying in the air before the door of one of their principal houses he was led out and ordered to run the gauntlet a row of boys women and men extended to the distance of a quarter of a mile at the starting place stood two grim warriors with butcher knives in their hands at the extremity of the line was an indian beating a drum and a few paces beyond the drum was the door of the council house clubs switches hoe handles and tomahawks were brandished along the whole line and as kenton saw these formidable preparations the cold sweat streamed from his pores the moment for starting arrived the great drum at the door of the council house was struck and kenton sprang forward in the race he however avoided the row of his enemies and turning to the east drew the whole party in pursuit of him he doubled several times with great activity and at length observing an opening he darted through it and pressed forward to the council house with a rapidity which left his pursuers far behind one or two of the indians succeeded in throwing themselves between him and the goal and from these alone he received a few blows but was much less injured than he could at first have supposed possible after the race was over a council to decide his fate was held while he was handed over naked and bound to the care of a guard in the open air the deliberation commenced every warrior sat in silence while a large war-club was passed around the circle those who were opposed to burning the prisoner on the spot were to pass the club in silence to the next warrior those in favor of burning were to strike the earth violently with the club before passing it a teller was appointed to count the votes this dignitary reported that the opposition had prevailed and that it was determined to take the prisoner to an indian town on mad river called washcotomcoco his fate was announced to him by a renegado white man who acted as interpreter kenton asked what the indians intended to do with him upon reaching huaco tobacco burn you replied the renegado with a ferocious oath after this pleasant assurance the laconic and scowling interpreter walked away the prisoner's clothes were restored to him and he was permitted to remain unbound 
thanks to the intimation of the interpreter he was aware of the fate in reserve for him and resolved that he would never be carried alive to wakautamcoco their route lay through an unprimed forest abounding in thickets and undergrowth during the whole of the march kenton remained abstracted and silent often meditating an effort for the recovery of his liberty and as often shrinking from the peril of the attempt at length he was aroused from his reverie by the indians firing off their guns and raising the shrill scalp halloo the signal was soon answered and the deep roll of a drum was heard far in front announcing to the unhappy prisoner that they were approaching an indian town where the gauntlet certainly and perhaps the stake awaited him the idea of a repetition of the dreadful scenes he had just encountered overcame his indecision and with a sudden and startling cry he sprung into the bushes and fled with the speed of a wild deer the pursuit was instant and keen some of his pursuers were on horseback some on foot but he was flying for his life the stake and the hot iron and the burning splinters were before his eyes and he soon distanced the swiftest hunter in pursuit but fate was against him at every turn thinking only of the enemy behind he forgot that there might be an enemy before and he suddenly found that he had plunged into the centre of a fresh party of horsemen who had sallied from the town at the firing of the guns and happened unfortunately to stumble upon the poor prisoner now making a last effort for freedom his heart sunk at once from the ardour of hope to the lowest pit of despair and he was again haltered and driven into captivity like an ox to the slaughter on the second day he arrived at wanko tampico here he was again compelled to run the gauntlet in which he was severely hurt immediately after this ceremony he was taken to the council house and all the warriors once more assembled to determine his fate he sat silent and dejected upon the floor of the cabin when the door of the council-house opened and simon girty james girty john ward and an indian came in with a woman as a prisoner together with seven children and seven scalps kenton was immediately removed from the council-house and the deliberations of the assembly were protracted to a very late hour in consequence of the arrival of the last-named party with a fresh drove of prisoners at length he was again summoned to attend the council-house being informed that his fate was decided upon entering he was greeted with a savage scowl which if he had still cherished a spark of hope would have completely extinguished it simon girty threw a blanket upon the floor and harshly ordered him to take a seat upon it the order was not immediately complied with and girty impatiently seizing his arm jerked him roughly upon the blanket and pulled him down in a menacing tone girty then interrogated him as to the condition of kentucky how many men are there in kentucky it is impossible for me to answer that question replied kenton but i can tell you the number of officers and their respective ranks and you can judge for yourself do you know william stewart perfectly well he is an old and intimate acquaintance what is your own name simon butler replied kenton who had been known formerly by that name never did the announcement of a name produce a more powerful effect 
gertie and kenton had served as spies together in dunmore's expedition the former had not then abandoned the society of the whites for that of the savages and had become warmly attached to kenton during the short period of their services together as soon as he heard the name he threw his arms around kenton's neck and embraced him with much emotion then turning to the assembled warriors who had witnessed this scene with much surprise gertie informed them that the prisoner whom they had just condemned to the stake was his ancient companion and bosom friend that they had travelled the same war-path slept upon the same blanket and dwelt in the same wigwam he entreated them to spare him the anguish of witnessing the torture by his adopted brothers of an old comrade and not to refuse so trifling a favour as the life of a white man to the earnest intercession of one who had proved by three years faithful service that he was zealously devoted to the cause of the indians the speech was listened to in silence and some of the chiefs were disposed to grant gertie's request but others urged the flagrant misdemeanors of kenton that he had not only stolen their horses but had flashed his gun at one of their young men that it was in vain to suppose that so bad a man could ever become an indian at heart like their brother gertie that the kentuckians were all alike very bad people and ought to be killed as fast as they were taken and finally they observed that many of their people had come from a distance solely to assist at the torture of the prisoner and pathetically painted the disappointment and chagrin with which they would hear that all their trouble had been for nothing gertie continued to urge his request however with great earnestness and the debate was carried on for an hour and a half with much energy and heat the feelings of kenton during this suspense may be imagined at length the war club was produced and the final vote was taken it was in favour of the prisoner's reprieve having thus succeeded in his benevolent purpose gertie lost no time in attending to the comfort of his friend he led him into his own wigwam and from his own store gave him a pair of moccasins and leggings a breechcloth a hat a coat a handkerchief for his neck and another for his head for the space of three weeks kenton lived in tranquillity treated with much kindness by gertie and the chiefs but at the end of that time as he was one day with gertie and an indian named redpole another indian came from the village toward them uttering repeatedly a whoop of peculiar intonation gertie instantly told kenton it was the distress halloo and that they must all go instantly to the council house kenton's heart fluttered at the intelligence for he dreaded all whoops and heartily hated all council houses firmly believing that neither boded him any good nothing however could be done to avoid whatever fate awaited him and he sadly accompanied gertie and redpole back to the village on entering the council house kenton perceived from the ominous scowls of the chiefs that they meant no tenderness toward him gertie and redpole were cordially received but when poor kenton offered his hand it was rejected by six indians successively after which sinking into despondence he turned away and stood apart the debate commenced kenton looked eagerly toward gertie as his last and only hope his friend seemed anxious and distressed the chiefs from a distance rose one after another and spoke in a firm and indignant tone often looking sternly at kenton 
gertie did not desert him but his eloquence was wasted after a warm discussion he turned to kenton and said well my friend you must die one of the stranger chiefs instantly seized him by the collar and others surrounding him he was strongly pinioned committed to a guard and marched off his guard were on horseback while he was driven before them on foot with a long rope around his neck in this manner they had marched about two and a half miles when gertie passed them on horseback informing kenton that he had friends at the next village with whose aid he hoped to be able to do something for him gertie passed on to the town but finding that nothing could be done he would not see his friend again but returned to wakakodamako by a different route the indians with their prisoner soon reached a large village upon the headwaters of skioto where kenton for the first time beheld the celebrated mingo chief logan so honorably mentioned in jefferson's notes on virginia logan walked gravely up to the place where kenton stood and the following short conversation ensued well young man these people seem very mad at you yes sir they certainly are well don't be disheartened i am a great chief you are to go to sandusky they speak of burning you there but i will send two runners to-morrow to help you logan's form was manly his countenance calm and noble and he spoke the english language with fluency and correctness kenton's spirits revived at the address of the benevolent chief and he once more looked upon himself as providentially rescued from the stake on the following morning two runners were dispatched to sandusky as the chief had promised in the evening they returned and were closeted with logan kenton felt the most burning anxiety to know the result of their mission but logan did not visit him until the next morning he then walked up to him accompanied by kenton's guard and giving him a piece of bread told him that he was instantly to be carried to sandusky and left him without uttering another word again kenton's spirit sunk from logan's manner he supposed that his intercession had been unavailing and that sandusky was to be the scene of his final suffering this appears to have been the truth but fortune had not finished her caprices on being driven into the town for the purpose of being burnt on the following morning an indian agent from canada named drewer interposed and once more was he rescued from the stake drewer wished to obtain information for the british commandant at detroit and so earnestly did he insist upon kenton's being delivered to him that the indians at length consented upon the express condition that after the required information had been obtained he should be again restored to their possession to this drewer consented and without further difficulty kenton was transferred to his hands drewer lost no time in removing him to detroit on the road he informed kenton of the condition upon which he had obtained possession of his person assuring him however that no consideration should induce him to abandon the prisoner to the mercy of such wretches at detroit kenton's condition was not unpleasant he was obliged to report himself every morning to an english officer and was restricted to certain boundaries through the day in other respects he scarcely felt that he was a prisoner his wounds were healed and his emaciated limbs were again clothed with a fair proportion of flesh he remained in this state of easy restraint from october seventeen seventy seven until june seventeen seventy eight when he meditated an escape 
he cautiously broached his project to two young kentuckians then at detroit who had been taken with boone at the blue licks and had been purchased by the british he found them as impatient as himself of captivity and resolute to accompany him he commenced instant preparations having formed a close friendship with two indian hunters he deluged them with rum and bought their guns for a mere trifle these he hid in the woods and returning to detroit managed to procure powder and ball with another rifle the three prisoners then appointed a night for their attempt and agreed upon a place of rendezvous they met at the time and place appointed without discovery and taking a circuitous route avoiding pursuit by travelling only during the night they at length arrived safely at louisville after a march of thirty days End of section 9